Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 16. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer, and today we'll be chatting with and learning from Kathy Humbarger. Kathy has worked in the life arena with particular focus on abortion and early life issues since 1984. Kathy brings with her wisdom, experience, and perspective that, quite frankly, can really only be gained from time spent uh, in the trenches, if you will. Kathy joins me to share how the conversation around abortion has drastically changed throughout the years and why pro-life advocates might change their approach in talking about abortion and women's advocacy. Kathy, welcome. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? I can. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for giving me this opportunity to share a little bit about the history of the pro-life fight. Um, and I, I have obviously been involved for a long time, so hopefully I'll be able to share some things that your listeners haven't heard before. I was born in Columbus, Indiana and lived there until I got married and moved to Fort Wayne. So my husband and I currently live in Fort Wayne, and Rick and I have 13 uh, grandchildren from three children, um, and we have one great-grandchild that we can already see and one that we will be able to see in January. So um, if we can't win any other way, we'll just out-baby him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations. How exciting to be expecting a new baby. Oh, yes. It's a thrill. And Kathy, what you were telling me before we came on what all you are involved in, but can you lay out for us what you are involved in currently in the life movement and what you have been involved in in the past? Well, I met a missionary uh, early on when I was much younger, and they loved to uh, minister in Africa. And when they were in the United States, they couldn't wait to get back to Africa. And I thought, how can this be that someone would be so passionate that they'd be willing to give up running water and air conditioning and all of that? But after I got involved in pro-life work, I can certainly understand that passion. I am committed through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of, of uh, the Lord to save every baby I can any way I can, as soon as I can. So that's what gets me up every day. It's a passion. And I know that in the hearts of all of God's children, he's placed a passion. We don't all have to be involved in the same thing, but uh, the life issue and saving babies and their mothers from a lifetime of regret is uh, what I'm all about. Hmm. Now, how did you get involved in, in life work? Because you mentioned, so this is, we were doing some math about 35, 36 years ago mm -hmm. is when you, your eyes were kind of opened to this being an issue in front of you and you were emboldened to get involved. Uh, yes, I had a, still have a very close friend, but at the time we were having lunch and just out of the blue, she said to me, Kathy, will you still be my friend if I tell you? that I've had an abortion. Well, back in those early days, I knew that abortions were going on, but I didn't think that I knew anyone who'd had an abortion. So that was the beginning of my eyes being open to the issue. And I said, well, of course I'll be your friend. Tell me your story. And she did. And she told me about how she was a 
a student in college and how the whole thing, uh, her abortion decision played out because she was basically given no choice at the medical clinic on her campus. It was just like, okay, you're pregnant. This is what you need to do. So she allowed me to walk through with her the healing process. Back then, there were no support groups for um, women who'd had an abortions. Um, and she thought she was probably the only Lutheran that had ever had an abortion. And, and she was just so ashamed and embarrassed and regretful. She let me ask her all kinds of questions, um, things that someone who had not gone through the experience wouldn't know. And um, I remember asking her, um, so why didn't you carry your baby to term and, and make an adoption plan? And she said, well, Kathy, you don't understand. We are so, the women who are pregnant uh, in a crisis or an unwanted or unplanned pregnancy are told that this is a do-over. The abortionist will merely erase the life of your child and you will be like you were before. And she said, in reality, I became the mother of a dead baby. Um, so that certainly opened my eyes. And so the Lord grabbed my heart through the broken heart of my friend. Um, we Most of the pro-life work that was going on in Fort Wayne at the time was due to the activity of our Catholic brothers and sisters who were on this issue way before most of the rest of us. So there was, there was a Catholic organization here in town, um, but um, the Protestants really weren't very much aware of what was going on. Um, so we were able to open the first pregnancy resource center here in Fort Wayne, and she was the first director. Uh, she, and then she married a seminary student and uh, went on with her life exactly as she should have. Um, but what she planted in my heart has taken root, and by the grace of God, I've been able to be involved ever since. And I often tell her, your baby didn't die in vain. Look what you birthed here at Fort Wayne. Hmm. Thank you for providing that example of friendship in time of um, great need. And God give us grace to all say, when someone comes to us and, say, and says, look, I'm struggling, I need your help. God give us the grace to say what you did and said, well, of, of course I'll be your friend. Tell me your story. What a gracious way to respond and then be able to walk with her through her healing. Well, it's different, I think, when you're looking in the face of someone who has been a victim of abortion, uh, as opposed to just thinking about it theoretically, well, you know, these moms are baby killers or whatever else. There's a whole lot more to it than that. So. Um, if and since the Lord has reached out to me with grace and mercy, I've not had an abortion in my past, but I've had plenty of other things that have been all that we don't grade sin, but that I am a, a, a ashamed of and regret. So if he reaches out to me with grace and mercy, how can I not reach out with grace and mercy to someone who has made an abortion decision because they believe the lie that the abortionist could erase their baby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kathy, what are you involved in currently organization wise? Okay. 
Um, so I became the first page staff of Allen County Right to Life in 2002. I worked part-time and I was so grateful to be a part of, of what God did with that organization. Um, so up until January of this year, I was the executive director of what now is Right to Life of Northeast Indiana. Uh, the, the organization had grown to the point where uh, it needed somebody with more, um, with skills in uh, planning and organization and, and budgeting and strategic planning and all of that. That stuff makes my eyes glaze over. So fortunately, we were able to identify a young man uh, who was willing to take a pay cut and take over as executive director of Right to Life of Northeast Indiana. However, I still play a role with that organization. My title is, if I can remember it, uh, the Director of uh, Public Policy. So I reduced my hours with Right to Life of Northeast Indiana, and I began working for um, Safe Haven Baby Boxes. I don't know if many of your listeners may be familiar with the Safe Haven Baby Boxes that are available for women at, at the very last moment so that they won't throw their newborns in a dumpster, but we'll put them in a safe place. And then last year, um, as a result of the fact that we were able to close down three um, awful abortion facilities in Indiana, I was encouraged to start an organization uh, named Reprotection. And that's two words smushed together, uh, reproduction and protection. So uh, we're Reprotection. And the whole goal of this organization is to close down dangerous abortion facilities that are harming women and killing children. We've spent a lot of time over the last years, rightly so, getting pro-life candidates elected and urging them and helping them pass pro-life legislation. But Stephanie, the, the, uh, the heartbreaking piece of this whole thing is that those who are charged, the government agencies that are charged with carrying out and enforcing the laws are asleep at the switch, for lack of a better way to say it, even if they're under the authority of a pro-life Republican governor. Um, we found this over and over again in several states as, as our reach has grown. So um, that's uh, where I'm focused today, I really enjoy working with legislators and um, advocating for uh, pro-life policy. However, we have the tools in our toolbox to close down these abortion facilities. It takes time. It takes digging. I could go into the whole strategy, but uh, maybe that's for another day. But um our exciting news is that after a year investigation, we were able to close down a Florida abortion facility just this week. So um, the investigations are long and tedious, but uh, we certainly are seeing a result. Hmm. Kathy, you are very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have your your hands in in three different very active pro-life organizations, and not to mention your 13 grandchildren, <laughs> your two great-grandbabies. Um, wow. Thank you for all you do uh, to support 
life, really, in every way. Well, to God be the glory, because he's blessed me with health to this point. And uh, I, I will, uh, I don't plan to retire unless I get some kind of di uh, disabling disease or Lord calls me home. And either one, that will be the, the, the end of it. But I plan to stay in the fight as long as I possibly can. Hmm. Thank you. Kathy, uh, when you began your work in the life arena, so, um, you know, early 1980s, the, the conversation around abortion, I would imagine, I, I, I was not there, I wasn't even born at that point, but I would imagine the conversation around the abortion issue was quite different than it is today. And really, you're here today to kind of walk us through that for listeners who weren't there or who really weren't, you know, so I guess... But the point today is to talk about how did we talk about abortion, you know, when Roe v. Wade, um, uh, 1973, mm -hmm. and, you know, following, how did we talk about abortion from the pro-life side? How was abortion rights, how were um, the rights advocated from the, the pro-choice angle? And then, you know, how has that changed over time? Because it has to today. Um, so that we would need to adjust the way that we we think about these things and talk about these things and engage in this issue so that we have a chance to fight because the the old conversation is no longer happening. So we can't use the same old talking points. Mm -hmm. um, so today, you know, in summary, you're here to, to tell us about that and to tell us how these things have have right. changed. So back when you were just getting involved, um, again, early 80s, what were some of the, the talking points for people who were pro-life? Why were they generally pro-life? As I mentioned before, um, our Catholic friends were involved in this before a lot of the, the rest of us, and I'm so grateful for what they did. However, uh, their approach was mostly within their faith community. So they were obviously discussing the whole issue from a uh, um, theological point of view and, and knowing that abortion was not pleasing to God. Um, the first organization that I became aware of was Nurses Concerned for Life, and they did do pregnancy tests, and they were the beginning probably of what we know now as the pregnancy resource centers that are all over the country. So that's where it started. And then when the, um, when others, uh, became involved, there's really a split in how to address this issue. And I'm not certain we did a very good job of working together because I think those in different camps thought we have to do it this way. And the other way, the other camp thought we had to do it this way. So basically we had the people that were protesting in front of the abortion facilities, and they were involved in um, uh, peaceful disobedience. Many of them were arrested and taken to jail. Uh, and their goal was to actually block access to the abortion facilities. And I am grateful for what they did because I'm certain babies were saved. The other camp was the beginning of the pregnancy resource ministries. And that's how I originally got involved in pro-life work after uh, my friend shared her story. But that was considered to be the compassionate, helpful um, uh, arm of the pro-life fight. And there was not much 
love lost between the two groups. I guess that, for lack of a better way to say it. So the people protesting in front of the abortion facilities thought that was the way to go. And the people who were starting the pro-life ministries wanted nothing to do with the riffraff that were involved in civil disobedience. So um, that's kind of the way it operated over a number of years. Back in the day, back then, the pro-abortion crowd uh, were all about giving women um, a, a second chance. A, a pregnancy shouldn't ruin their, uh, their lives. And interestingly enough, uh, I experienced this when I, I was speaking for the, the uh, Pregnancy Resource Center here in Fort Wayne. The people in the generation that was probably in their 50s and 60s, particularly the women, had um, felt oppressed and pushed down. And uh, I, I'm speaking with, I'm painting with a broad brush, but I, I ran into this all the time. And so it was a woman's rights issue. Men don't have to bear the responsibility of having a baby and then taking care of it. So why should women? That was during that whole, I, I, it began in the, in the 1960s with the whole feminist movement and all of that. Um, if you have seen the movie, uh, Roe v. Wade, the movie, um, that is a good historical resource for how it all played out back in the early days. Um, so um, we, we had these opposite um, camps. And finally, finally, uh, I, I still think there was a place at the time for the people doing the civil disobedience. But we finally realized that it does little good to speak to a woman in a crisis about her baby and her baby's future and all of that. Um, it, it, with the, when the woman was in crisis, her whole thinking is, how do I get out of this? What do I do? You know, and, and so it, she's in a panic state of mind oftentimes. Now, not always things are changing, but back in the day, that's the way it was. So when we finally realized that we needed to reach out to the mom in order for her to uh, choose life for her baby, uh, that was way more effective than shaking our fingers in her face and saying, you're a killer. God's not going to ever forgive you if you walk in that door. We even had a group here in Fort Wayne that was in front of the abortion facility, and they were all about shaming women. So if the women, women went into the abortion facility anyway, when they came out, they would turn their back to them and uh, shout at them that, they were lost for eternity. I mean, it was awful. Um, and I, I think it was right in front of our faces, but we needed to realize that we needed to reach out with compassion and love to women and offer them support and help rather than uh, tell them they're going to hell. So the operation, or the uh, uh, protests in front of the abortion facilities pretty much uh, died down after a number of years, and there's still that conflict in the pro-life movement um, where there are those that still look at moms as being baby killers and even worse, killers of their own children, technically, 
You could make a case for that, but that is really not helpful if our focus is on saving the babies. And the Lord put my heart from my story, saving the moms from a lifetime of regret. Um, they don't all feel regret. Uh, and oftentimes immediately after an abortion, they feel relief. But for the most part, uh, look at all the post-abortion ministries that are all over the country now. Uh, and, and they're there because there's a need. These women are regretful. They're, they, they've never been able to get past it. So uh, that was the biggest shift, I think. Uh, and there are still those, uh, I know, on the that are trying to pass legislation that would um, re or at least give the opportunity for uh, the the legal um, enforcement, like the sheriff and the uh, prosecutor, um, to prosecute these women for murder, um, and that is that is so nonproductive, in my opinion. But you offer some really good insight um, that really I can't tap into again because I wasn't there at the kind of the start of this, and then it, particularly when you're talking about the 50s and 60s when um, the other wave of the feminist movement. Um, came through and and really um, kind of arguing for and battling for women's rights um, got tied up in um, also battling for the rights of unborn babies. Um, so that's those those two have gotten you know intermingled in a, in a in a very messy way, right. and it's hard to kind of take those apart and ident identify. And address those those two very different issues, and um, yeah, then that that really informs us of how we properly reach out to right. these women who are in crisis. You know, I have spent now a, a total of about ten years working for crisis pregnancy centers, mm -hmm. and that has typically been the common, you know part of everyone's story walking through a pregnancy center is that this is a, a situation that is a, a crisis situation. Um, it's not a happy situation for these women coming through pregnancy centers, at least. And so we, we know just, you know, in general terms of communication 101, that we don't talk to a person in crisis the way that we talk to a person like we are, you and me, very right. calmly, and mm -hmm. we're able to you know, discuss things and have perspective and and a rational, you know, conversation. Well, sadly, Stephanie, I can't tell you how many um, Christian women's groups like in the churches like the, uh, sometimes they have ladies aid or, um, I don't know, sewing circles or, or whatever. And I would uh, share with them that we were going to open this <laughs> pregnancy resource center. And their response to me was, who's going to pay my social security if we have all these unwanted babies? I'm not kidding you. Christian women said that. Well, in reality, what happened is that we killed off uh, thousands and thousands of workers who would have paid into the social security uh, uh, financial situation. So, um, yeah, it was a strange time. It was a strange time. That feminist thing was so strong. And so many women had felt oppressed, sadly. And um, this is one of the um, outcomes. Yeah. Well, and some things change and, and some things remain the same. And of course, we're um, 
Oh, that's so very heavy in the conversation today. Um, again, feminism and the oppression of women, which is a, 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 also a conversation for a different time. But it's important to know that this plays into this abortion um, you know, conversation. And it did even, you know, back back then. Um, but Kathy, from your, you know, recollection, um, was there at the time when you got involved a, a, a kind of general consensus from um, the, the pro-life side or even the pro-choice side, whatever, of when life began? And then how how did the, you know, the the point of conception and the point of life beginning, uh, what did that play a role in the the arguments at the time well of course technology has just expanded um, by leaps and bounds since the mid-80s we didn't have ultrasounds then um, and the, the whole idea of when life begins was kind of up for grabs however the medical uh, books that the the doctors used as they went through medical training uh, said that life begins at conception, but then there's a whole argument about, well, what exactly is that life? It's not aware and blah, blah, blah. And there was a lot of rhetoric uh, that the baby was just a blob of tissue. So uh, when a woman in a crisis pregnancy was told that and looking for a way out, well, it's just a blob of tissue. Uh, so, but we didn't have the refined uh, ultrasonography and, and that kind of thing to show them exactly what it was. So um, that was a, a whole different um, a time in history when the women really were easily convinced that this wasn't really a baby, especially in an, uh, a first trimester abortion. You know, it's, well, it's just a blob of tissue. Well, that can no longer stand as an argument because all of us have seen multiple ultrasounds and we can see the fingers and toes and the, uh, the, uh, hear the heartbeat of babies in the very early stages of development. So, but they, they still drag out the, uh, uh, the idea that the baby really isn't aware and so therefore it has no rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that whole argument has evolved from it's a blob of tissue to, well, okay, it's life, but the rights of that unborn baby do not trump the rights of the mother. So if she wants to go to a concert next month and she finds herself pregnant and she won't be able to get in her fancy dress, that's good enough reason to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, listen, as, as you and I know, and as we've talked about this, I am a very strong advocate for informing women in pregnancy and especially in crisis pregnancy situations about, um, fetal development and, and telling them the truth of what's, um, going on right. even in early stages of pregnancy. So I don't hear me listeners say that I don't think that that's an important way to approach this, but it is not the, um, the only um, you know, factor in this conversation and it can't be anymore. And, you know, as, as Kathy, you and I were talking earlier before recording, cause we had a nice, nice chat even before I kind of wish we had recorded it, but I uh, was involved in an ultrasound curriculum with LCMS life ministry. Mm -hmm. And so kind of the, uh, idea behind that is to, um, teach, um, kids in school 
um, the early stages of fetal development through ultrasound technology so that we can teach, educate, and inform young people. um, Before they're in the crisis. Yes, absolutely. So that that information remains if and when they're found in a crisis or so that they can they can help their their friends through this, too. So I am a very strong advocate of ultrasound being used in pregnancy centers and ministry to to aid in this and to help these women. But as you had said just minutes earlier, a woman in crisis, that isn't the only you know, that's not the only convincing um, idea, but or the the only reason that they may change their mind. And so we have to adjust the way that we talk to these women and uh, and to others mm-hmm. about this issue. So 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 knowing that, then um, how has from those early stages of when you got involved, then how has our culture really shifted its general views and acceptance of abortion throughout the years? Well, in the beginning, uh, there were many who were standing on the issue that this was a, a sin. And we know it is forgivable sin, but sin nonetheless. And that didn't resonate much with these, the secular world uh, or even those who might be Christians and uh, find themselves in a crisis pregnancy because they knew the grace and mercy of God. So if it was all about sin, then um, I'll just do this and then uh, God will forgive me. Well, he will, but uh, that's just, that's not the whole story of what they live with afterwards. So that is, it has shifted from uh, a discussion about religion However, that is a, certainly a component to um, women's health. And over the years, I have seen that used very effectively by the other side. Now, there, there are organizations that uh, ask women to participate in a program called Shout Your Abortion. They're trying to remove this, the, uh, any kind of guilt or remorse a woman might feel. They try to talk that away. Abortion is a good thing. Uh, we need to provide it um, in a uh, clinic that is uh, meets medical standards and, and on and on. But it's shifted away from this is the ending of a human life uh, for whatever arguments would uh, be uh, advocated for that to this is normal. It's part of women's health. The abortion providers have gone out of their way to use this as a women's health issue. This is just another thing along with annual exams and mammograms and all of that. If you need an abortion, that's part of the women's health package. And they're doing a pretty good job of convincing people that that's what it is. So what we need to do is refocus, recraft uh, our message to this isn't women's health. Look at how this devastates women. And we want to help them make a better decision, no matter their circumstance, uh, so that they don't have to expose themselves to um, possible physical um, uh, outcomes that are going to be detrimental to them for the rest of their lives or emotional. Um, it's, it's just a, 
we need to talk in those terms, especially in the secular marketplace of ideas. Uh, and we can prove easily that this is not women's health. And it, it doesn't take too much time to, to uh, make that argument. So that's the way it's shifted. But I, I am firmly um, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But I know that the truth is the truth, regardless of whether you believe the truth giver. So if we're talking to someone who doesn't care a fig about what the Bible says, we still use the principles uh, and God created science and <laughs> embryology and everything. So we can speak the truth without citing scripture passages. And I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but that's the way the whole message has had to um, change over the years because the arguments that we made way back in the day and the anger and the uh, vitriol that we um, displayed to women considering abortion or who had had an abortion, abortion providers even, and, and abortion uh, 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 staff that work in these abortion facilities, they're made in the image of God too. And as, as I look at it, we're going to get a whole lot further being kind and gracious to them than we are um, confronting them and being angry and accusatory. So I know I rambled on quite a bit there, but. No, I mean, that's that's very helpful. It wasn't rambling because it made complete sense. And so I want to just digest that a little bit because you had said, you know, and I readily agree with you that now the um, the proponents for abortion and women's rights and women's, um, you know, right to privacy and, and health um, is um, strongly focused on the women's right to bodily autonomy, the woman's right to choose for her what her best health options are. Mm -hmm. And so I guess just talking through this with you, what if a woman felt that, well, I am willing to, you know, suffer the potential future consequences um, to my health if it keeps you know, my, my identity, um, as it was before pregnancy, if it keeps my situation on, on track so that I can achieve my dreams. I think that some women without really knowing fully, I haven't been in that situation. I think some women would be willing to, especially in a crisis, take the lumps of, you know, future health issues, even mental health issues so that they can preserve what they feel they need to, you know, in the moment. So I guess how do we, how do we care for those women, and how do we minister to those women who are thinking in that vein? Well, again, I think we need to um, approach them understanding that, and I understand the value of ultrasound and all that. We've talked through that. That's assuming that you can get the woman in the pregnancy resource center in the first place. So uh, when any of us are uh, uh, have the opportunity to speak to a woman who's either abor abortion vulnerable or um, um, abortion uh, that she's already decided that she's committed to have an abortion, we need to keep that in mind. There's time to talk about baby, but in that moment, we need to talk about her and how we're going to come alongside and help her 
We're going to walk through her um, crisis with her and help her connect to the resources that she needs to make in order to make a life de decision. Um, and I could talk about several organizations that are taking this unique approach. Uh, Let Them Live is one of them. But, um, you know, we get overwhelmed. We think, oh, well, we have to turn to the government or we have to um, look to some kind of other resource. The churches need to be prepared to come alongside these women. And they may not be the women that, that come to church on Sunday morning uh, dressed and cleaned up and sitting in the pew in a very proper way. Oftentimes, these women are not the ones that we would uh, typically see in church. Uh, they may have given up on God a long time ago. Uh, and so there's a spiritual element to this too. But if we say we're pro-life and the Lord blesses us with an opportunity to have uh, a woman connect with us, we got to be ready and we can't give her false promises. We can't say, I'm going to walk through this with you and then be missing an action the next day. Uh, it's a hard thing to do, but I think as Christians, that's God's call on our lives. So um, that's a long answer to your question, but the bottom line is helping women in crisis understand they're not alone and that there are people, compassionate people, uh, Christians who will come alongside them. But then at the same time, we need to equip the church to help them even understand that they need to talk about this issue because oftentimes you never hear a word about abortion because maybe the pastor knows that there are people in his congregation that have had an abortion and they don't want to upset her. Um, on the other hand, I've had women who've had abortions say that's the only sin we don't hear about in church. So it must be the unforgivable sin. So I think we need to equip ourselves. We never know. We've got to be ready. And scripture clearly tells us to be ready to make an argument for what we believe. And so um, I would encourage listeners to educate themselves, find out what's going on, um, get training for opportunities like this to speak to women, because even, and especially in addition to women in a crisis, those who may have made that decision and are grieving in silence and secrecy, um, we're the ones that can make a difference, but it takes some effort and not everybody is called to the same thing. I get that. However, I think we can all have a basic understanding of how to graciously and kindly interact with women who are in this situation. And if we can't for whatever reason walk through her with it walk with her through this we need to be familiar with the pregnancy resource centers and the churches that are there and not just say here's a number but uh go with her and help her understand that she doesn't have to walk through that door alone and after she walks through the first time she's going to see an amazing amount of compassion and care and resources uh, but we have, I think the Lord's calling us to be the connector between uh, women in crisis and solutions to their immediate problem and uh, assistance maybe in making a long-term plan for their life. Uh, there are organizations like uh, A Mother's Hope who takes in homeless pregnant women 
um, there, there are plenty of resources. And another thing I would encourage the listeners to do is if you feel the Lord's nudging you to get involved in this, find out what's out there and where you can plug in to be a part of the solution and carrying compassion for these women. It's one thing to overturn Roe and uh, win fights in the courts and pass pro-life legislation. But this battle is going to be won when abortion becomes unthinkable in the hearts and minds of every pregnant woman and, uh, in a broader sense, everyone that calls the United States home. We, it, it just has to be like some of the other issues, like smoking and that kind of thing. Used to be wild, widely accepted, but now not so much. You know, people go outside and, and smoke, you know, hidden behind the corner. So um, there's that whole mindset that we, we just, this is just unthinkable. So anyway. And well, and Jesus, you know, uh, addresses this uh, 2,000 years ago, and it still rings true today in that the battle that we wage is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. And Satan um, loves to twist the truth and um, particularly is enjoying this um, battle currently going on, um, not only against uh, unborn babies, but also um, against uh, women who are challenged to consider where they find their identity and why they matter and how they become to matter more in society. And as you said, the church is the connector and, and the bridge and really offers the hope and the good news for all of God's creation as to um, their place and their identity. And what I'm seeing currently with, um, you know, you had mentioned the movement to shout your abortion, um, to triumph, um, you know, even murdering a, a child at any expense because what really matters is you and your truth and what helps you um, get to the top and this whole concept of self-actualization and becoming the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. These are really dangerous paths mm -hmm. that society is running down and the church offers a really faithful, can offer a really faithful response to, um, well, what is a woman and what is her purpose and and goal in God's good creation. And I just had um, Miss Anna Young, an 18-year-old guest on to talk about this very topic. So that's something worth listeners, if they haven't listened to Anna's conversation, to go do that, talking about women's empowerment and um, where women find their identity. But thank you for pointing out, <laughs> too, that this is, uh, there's no one easy solution Right. Um, and this is a very multifaceted approach to a very complex issue and one that the church needs to, because it was in a slumber for many years, especially the Lutheran church kind of following the lead of Catholic churches to to wake up to and address. And I, and I think we are. Um, we're doing that. And I see that evident through Deaconess Tiffany Manor's uh, leadership and LCMS Life Ministry. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, these conversations are important to have. Well, I am so encouraged by seeing the uh, uh, 
generations like yours and um, younger and, and then a little bit older than you, I'm so grateful that they get it sometimes better than people who are, are older. So I feel uh, in personally that it's, it is incumbent upon me to invest everything I can into the generations behind me. This is not about me. This is not the Kathy Humbarger campaign or anything like that. It is being on the place on the battlefield that the Lord has called me. But I would be very remiss if I didn't uh, invest in the next generation so that they can carry the torch. Uh, that That is uh, immensely important to me. Hmm. Yeah, well, thank you, Kathy. And thanks for setting that that example. And, and you're right. Sometimes I think of myself and I, I, I do forget that there's, you know, generations <laughs> apart from my kids, of course, yeah. um, even younger um, than me that now my job already coming into, um, you know, my mid thirties will be to, yeah, to come under and support this next generation to be right. um, pro-life and to be loving towards these young women and young men. When people situations. need to be willing to let go too. Uh, there's a time for us to let go. And it's so encouraging to know that we're not letting go with nobody behind us to pick up the torch. Hmm. Well, Kathy, you had touched on this a, a little bit, but maybe if we could just go um, a bit further into, um, you know, when we're talking about the church stepping in and, um, God's grace and his mercy towards his his um, children who he's created, um, regardless of whether they acknowledge him or not to be the creator, as you had talked about. How does God's grace and his mercy then affect the way we approach anyone who comes to us in need? How does the gospel change the way that we approach this? We need to recognize first that we are sinners saved by grace. The uh, ground is level at the foot of the cross. God does not grade sins, even though we're tempted sometimes to do so. Uh, and that's where we have to, uh, in my opinion, be right with our, ourselves and our God before we attempt to minister to others. So with that same humility and grace that God's shown us, we need, in my opinion, we can't do this as humans without asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us so that when we're in these situations, we can speak with grace and mercy that's sincere. Uh, I, I just think that's where it starts for us. Now, obviously, we need to meet the woman at the point of her need, and that is to talk about her and her situation. That's where she is right now, but we don't want to leave her there. So that's why this is an open door, in my opinion, to not only save a child for this this life and the mother from the, a, a lifetime of regret, but we can touch her heart for eternity. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, uh, but that's where I think we have to start. And then there's an organization, I've, the name escapes me right now, I'll try to find it, um, that already has a turnkey program for churches to start to uh, reach out to women in, in crisis. It may be in their churches or it may be somebody in the neighborhood of their church. Um, our mission field in the church is all around, you know, the neighborhoods too, as well. So, um, that, 
is an easy place to start. Great. And Kathy, then thinking also differently, um, it's one thing to, like you had said, to have a a friend who you can put a face to this issue, a friend who comes to you in need of you walking alongside her. It's another thing to have um, this kind of um, faceless opponent that is the other side mm-hmm. and um to um to demonize that that side which is would be um you know people who advocate for abortion how do we still have grace and compassion toward them and what is the correct posture that christians should be taking towards people who think differently than us about these issues i think that scripture verse that you mentioned earlier, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, We need to remind ourselves of that, or we should remind ourselves of that on a regular basis. Um, These people are blinded people that are being used as instruments of Satan. And I think uh, if you, as I think about uh, Jesus' time on earth, his wrath was towards not the people that didn't shouldn't didn't have an opportunity to know it was the faith leaders the the people in the church that should have known better that uh, scribes and pharisees and all of those people so um i think as we look toward these people we need to see them as lost for eternity and they can be hateful and mean and uh but if we respond in love uh it's amazing what can happen uh, the abortionist um, that operated here in Fort Wayne for decades um, was the, one of the most vile speaking, vulgar, hateful men I had ever encountered. Uh, however, after we were able to um, get his abortion facilities shut down, he still came from Creed, Illinois to Fort Wayne on procedure day because it's interesting. Uh, one elderly man in particular had reached out to him every week that he came when he was doing abortions and after he quit and they would talk he'd always bring uh, the abortionist coffee and it got to the point where they would uh, sit in uh, my friend's car and have conversations about gardening or you know all kinds of things but this man was faithful for five years to meet the abortionist every Thursday morning. And I think the reason that the abortionist came, still came back was because this guy was the only friend he had. So the week before uh, abortionist Clapper died, um, this elderly gentleman who'd been befriending him over all those years said, George, we need to get serious. I want you to know that there is nothing you have done that God can't forgive. But unless you ask for forgiveness, you're lost for eternity. And um, he said he noticed something different in the way his message was received. And he went home and told his wife, you know, I think I had a break breakthrough day. George Crawford died the next week. So, um, I think we just need to keep in perspective that these are people made in the image of God. 
and that they're being used as tools in the hands of Satan. And we have an obligation, if we have the opportunity, to speak truth and love into their lives as well. Um, so I, I think that there is a difference between fighting against abortion, the, uh, the awful scourge of abortion, and attacking the people that carry it out. I completely agree. And those are wise words for um, all of us hearers to, to take to heart. And um, I, I think of a, of a couple different instances in scripture that, that discuss this, um, you know, in Romans, of course, Paul talks about, you know, all of us being enemies of God <laughs> um, before, um, you know, Christ called us and, and saved us by his divine mercy and his grace. Um, but that God's patience and his forbearance and his kindness is what leads us to repentance. And it talks about this specifically um, in Romans 2, verbatim, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And that's um, an approach that we need to take on too as, as Christians, that um, our patience, our prayers for these people, mm -hmm. um, our forbearance, our kindness, just as your friend extended a hand of kindness to the abortionist. Um, these are the tools that we have to extend um, the gospel message to others and to show them um, what forgiveness and grace look like um, in reality. Another thing to remember, I think, that, I, uh, that has been so effective for me is to pray boldly. Uh, God is a God of the impossible. So if we pray that the Lord will give us an opportunity to speak into the life of a frightened teenager who is pregnant and doesn't know what to do or any other kind of situation, he will provide those opportunities. That's a bold prayer. And if you pray it, I would just encourage you to be willing to follow through. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, be willing to follow through. That's right. Be willing to follow through with the the opportunities that God has given you, mm -hmm. especially when you have verbatim asked for those. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I also I also think of the passage in in Colossians where where Paul is talking to the church and he is saying, um, now this is of course is a different circumstance, but it still applies um today. He says, uh, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. And um, then he says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Now make the most of every opportunity. And then finally, he wraps up by saying, let your conversation be always full of grace. And he uses the phrase seasoned with salt um, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that is a prayer we can ask specifically from our Father. Absolutely. And um, he will give us his spirit um, to attend to those people in need of our care. Right. Absolutely. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us um, and for, you know, offering your wisdom and your experience and a retrospective um, view of the past, you know, several decades leading up to where we are today and and really also giving us hope for how we can um, address this 
really the biggest issue of our day in the life movement. It's certainly been my pleasure and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, speaking of hope, uh, this is a verse that I've hung on to for many years that when I want to give up uh, has been an encouragement from the Lord, and that is, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. I don't have very many scripture verses memorized, but uh, that has been such a comfort to me. When things look bleak, we must not give up. We must not give up. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button on your app so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. New episodes drop the second and fourth Fridays of every month. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Well, email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Thank you.